When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Wilson. I'm back and your host today. And I should be sounding better than ever after getting a new microphone delivered. Tyrone's got one today. I'm sure we'll mention that. Hopefully we're sounding nice and crisp on those airwaves on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to the podcast. Uh, we're recording on the Friday afternoon after United drew 1-1 with Palace on the Wednesday. And of course, the Arsenal game is on the Sunday. So we're going to reflect on that performance, look ahead to Arsenal and digest everything that's happened. And Samuel, you obviously with me today. Samuel Lockhurst, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Unfortunately, my uh, my my camera on my laptop is as, as broken as your morale after my tackle on you in five-a-side in midweek. So I, I'm maybe not sounding as, as crisp as yourself and, and Ty, but... You know. I was wondering how long it would take for you to. I was wondering how long it would take for that to get a reference. You, you, you not make me, Stephen. So I could not, I could not let that go without um, a form of, mm-hmm. of fair punishment. And and you know, as, as Liam said, I, I did get the ball. <laughs> a brilliant piece of skill for myself, I must say. And I think a tackle on five aside. It's controversial, Ty, isn't it? You can't be having that on five aside. It is. It sounds very controversial. Yeah, I'll be. I'll be looking forward to seeing a replay. <laughs> Unfortunately, I uh, I missed the MEN's five aside game on Tuesday. I uh, I didn't get the messages as I'd left my phone at the uh, on the match of the day set at Molyneux. So um, I missed out <laughs> on all the uh, on all the messages about five aside. Uh, you think I tell you think. Anyways, we'll get straight into the game. Um, obviously, the one-one at Selhurst Park. Samuel and Tyrone were both there on Wednesday night down in London. Samuel, I'd like to ask for your snap reaction. So. Obviously a disappointing blow to, to concede so late. That was a wonderful free kick from Michael Elise. Probably a goal worthy of equalising any game, to be fair. But nonetheless, still very disappointing to concede in that manner in the final moments. It was looking pretty good for a, a potential first top-of-the-table uh, encounter between United and Arsenal since, I think, November 2007, it might have been. Obviously, City won on, on Thursday night anyway. But it the, the problem with United this season when they have won is that they've won in a very narrow manner quite often, um, more so away from home. All of their wins have been by the odd goal. That approach is not sustainable for uh, an entire season and it collapsed at the halfway point of the season. It was just a little bit befuddling that United only were at their most direct and uh, promptest with, with their attacking play after Palace almost scored in the first half uh, from that shot from Edouard, which was uh, superbly tipped onto the bar by De Gea. And then after that superb free kick from, from Elise, they, they should still probably have won the game with, with Casemiro's opportunity. So why there was that lull for the first half an hour of the second half was was mystifying. Uh, Palace were lifted by the substitutions that Patrick Vieira made. They were proactive, they were adventurous, yet for large portions of the game, a ball would be play, played up to uh, Mateta, who was pretty hopeless as, as the Palace striker, or the ball would be played into United's half, and you'd hear sighs of, of, of exasperation from Palace fans because of how, how toothless they uh, 
they were and, and, and are by and large. They seem to have struggled to get a, a very good number nine for a number of years now. And United just allowed the game to get away from them. You, you could uh, gauge that from the manner of Casemiro's tackle, which was really bordering on a red card. It was just about tame enough, if you could call it that, that it avoided um, an, an immediate expulsion. But it was certainly a yellow card. And the fact that they were resorting to some some desperate tackles, some cynical tackles, that just invited Palace onto them. And ultimately, United got what they deserve. If you're not going to bother to kill a game off, then you know you risk the you run the risk of of not winning the game, and that's exactly what happened. It was a tired challenge from Casemiro Tai uh, in the 80th minute, I think it was on Zahar. It was obviously a talking point before the game that Casemiro might be moved to the bench because he was on those four yellow cards that he picked up and obviously he was at risk of being suspended for Arsenal on Sunday, which is a very big game. Um, what did you make of that decision? Did you feel it was the right right call to play him? Because personally, I thought, look, you're not guaranteed points at Arsenal on Sunday. I thought myself, you play your strongest team against Palace. That's what he did. Um, Casemiro looked to survive the referee's attention. He looked to avoid it, didn't he? But the last 10 minutes, he did pick up a card. And if we look forward to Sunday, who would you replace Casemiro uh, with? Fred and McTominay? And neither of them have got five Champions Leagues, do they? No, I mean, it would be ideal to replace him with Fred and McTominay, really, like <laughs> you said. But I'm not sure that would get past, um, past Mikel Arteta. Um, I, I'm with you. I thought it was the right decision to play him. You, you had to play him, really. He's been such a transformative figure. The There was... Well, there's two issues aside from the tackle, which, like Samuel says, was dreadful um, and was, you know, was, was one of those that was fine line between a yellow and a red card, really. It was um, it was that bad. The first is that the United should have killed that game off. It, it, they played like they had no real intent to kill the game off second half, like they were happy to sit back and, and soak it up. Had they scored a second and, and just been a little bit more proactive in that second half, had they been 2-0 up so after 70 minutes, Casemiro probably wouldn't have been on the pitch because... He'd have been the first name, the first number going up for a substitute, I think, if, if United are, are more comfortable. But they weren't, and he had to stay on and, and play the full game. And the longer he plays, and the more you, you risk that kind of thing happening. And the second is, I think I think it was, was it Fernand, I think it was Fernandez that gave the ball away in the build-up to it. And it was a bit yeah. of a, you know, it, it was a loose pass from Fernandez really. And it, it, it kind of went under the radar at the time. But he, he played Casemiro into trouble at a time when United should have been killing the game off and keeping the ball um, and and that kind of resulted in in what happened. So I think I think you have to start the biggest issue for me, and it's it's a wider issue that feeds into not only Casemiro getting booked, but the fact they conceded that equaliser. They've got to be more proactive at killing games off. They've got to be better away from home. They they'd won a couple away from home. Obviously the the game before that, I think they lost at Villa. Then they had the win against Fulham, where they had quite a few chances in that game. But there was also good spells in that game where Fulham were were clearly on top as well. Um, and then they had the win at Wolves, where you know Wolves didn't do a lot, but neither did United really. And, and for all money, that game looked like being nil-nil. And so Rashford came up with with a moment basically. But you cannot rely on on any player really to score all your goals. And at the moment, United are pretty reliant on on Rashford. Fernandez has come into some form, but United are relying on Rashford to, to come up with something. Beyond that, there's you know they're, they're not creating a lot of chances, especially at home and especially against very defensive. Opposition, the, the the big six teams give them a little bit more room to play and, and go toe to toe, but other teams are more defensive, and, and United are finding it really hard to to create chances, and they just they weren't proactive enough in the second half for me on on Wednesday night, and that meant that Casemiro had to play the full game and, and ended up getting booked and, and missing the Arsenal game, and there's no doubt he is a 
he is a massive, massive loss for that team. In terms of replacing him, I'd, I'd probably look towards Fred, I think, over McTominay. Um, but it's, you know, it's whoever you bring in, there's, there's an obvious, you know, there's a significant drop-off there in that position. It's not ideal, is it, at all? Uh, I'd probably favour McTominay. I know we're doing our, our panel for the teams for Sunday morning, obviously, and I think that maybe the physicality of them might help in this fixture. Uh, Arsenal are quite athletic in midfield, aren't they? And he did perform well at Old Trafford earlier in the season in that win, mm, didn't he? I think Ten Hag talked about that win um, against Arsenal. Samuel, uh, Ty's just kind of alluded to the lack of goals from the attack there. And when Rashford doesn't fire, United do struggle to kind of kill off the game and to punish opponents. Um, Anthony, Let's discuss him. You kind of picked up during the game. He was slowing the ball down with his studs, kind of taking one too many touches. Fernandez had some words with him, didn't he, uh, before in the first half. Um, how would you assess his time at the club so far? Because he scored three goals in his first few games. Um, he's got zero assists. He's not scored since then. And he's played 18 games. And I think supporters are starting to think he needs to produce a bit more in games. So would you agree with that? He scored a couple of times in the, the cup competitions, but as far as the league is concerned, he's not scored since what would it have been October the ninth? I think at Everton, yeah. he's he is a, he's a six out of ten player. Uh, he will do something that just gets him marked up. But that that something, whether it's a brilliant goal or it's an important goal, that masks his otherwise you know pretty uh, meaningless contributions uh, you know there, there was a an obscene amount of attention that his bit of showboating got that time against Sheriff I mean he looked like an idiot for what he did because he played it straight to the keeper or, or, or it went out for a goal kick I can't quite remember which one but then obviously it you know, dominates the news cycle and some other uh, outlets the next day for no other reason but him being a United player but in terms of his actual efficacy it's there's not a lot going on there whatsoever. Um, they they're massively overspent on him, and it's nights like Wednesday where United don't win, and he's the poorest player on the pitch for United, maybe across both sides, arguably. That he's he's bound to get a bit more scrutiny. There's tight, not a tight turnaround, uh, like at Christmas time, I suppose, but where the focus is already shifted on quite quickly to Arsenal, I don't think he's going to get a great deal of scrutiny just yet. Say. You know, say he starts against Arsenal at the weekend and United lose, then I think um, unless he has a very good game, it will start to become quite intense because his United have spent, and as I said, it's an obscene amount of money. Uh, I think the overall investment is eighty-five and a half million in him, and you at least expect when you pay that kind of money for a forward or a winger who's come to the Premier League that they're quick. I don't see any real evidence that he's quick which is a problem. And up until maybe a month ago or a few weeks ago, we'd have been talking about Anthony and saying he, he gets into the team by default because there are no uh, credible competitors uh, for his role there. But you, you look at how Palestri operates in, in just his, his cameo against Charlton. He's quick. Uh, that's, that's an objective fact. Sancho is quick when he's at his optimum, when he's fit, when he's available. It looks like he will be available again, again shortly. And that's just as well for United because they do need that attacking depth. They do need more options. And Anthony, at the moment, you wouldn't even go as far to say that he flatters to deceive. I just watch him. I think what's going through his mind when United are trying to accelerate attacks and then he just decelerates them. And watching him at times, it is like watching someone playing five-a-side, you know, trying a trick, trying to do something. 
he did a nice bit of skill when he, he nutmegged maybe Tyrick Mitchell, I think it was, after they had that exchange. He's got some character about him. I think that's that's been apparent since before he joined United. He, he went on strike to, to force his move for Ajax. That was that was the main reason why why the deal got done again. But you can't just get by with, with a bit of character, uh, as, as vital as it is. You look at the other summer signings, Casemiro, Eriksson, Martinez, they've, they've all got character, but they've all been, by and large, brilliant for United this season. With Anthony, they've they've not got that from him, and they're going to need a hell of a lot more from him because his presence in that team, it does balance out the attack where he's left-footed. Palestri's not left-footed. Sancho isn't either. You, you look into to next season, really, to see where there would be a, a more light-for-like option in, in Ahmad if he is to be reintegrated into the squad. So as far as this weekend's concerned, I really wouldn't be surprised if Ten Hag drops Anthony. And I think that's something that he has to consider because the compromise to not having Casemiro in, in that you obviously you've got Fred or McTominay, neither are ideal. I think the way to maybe get by it is to just play both of them, which would not go down well with the fan base, but you have to just accept that it would be a one-off. Uh, Arsenal are top, so I think you have to... Uh, you know, move the pieces around again. I think they they deserve that respect for the way they've been playing this season. They've got a very uh, solid base there. Their spine doesn't change too much. McTominay and Fred have played in plenty of United Arsenal games in the past, and they've got the experience. I I think that if you're accommodating Anthony in that team and you, you're going with McTominay and Eriksson, which sorry, uh, Fred and Eriksson, look how badly that went at Brentford. Fred came off at half-time with Brentford 4-0 up. The last time McTominay started a Premier League game was the last time Casemiro did not start a Premier League game. And United found themselves 6-1 down at City. So I, I don't think it just washes with if you just put one of them in. I think as, as perverse as it may sound to a lot of United supporters, there is sense in actually playing both of them. And if you're to do that, you've still got to accommodate Ericsson. Fernandes is a non-negotiable you, you bomb Anthony out of the side and it happened against City last week. So I don't think it would be a, a particularly big call for Ten Hag to make. When Anthony did that nutmeg, Samuel, did you think of me? My Brazilian flair and five-a-side? I didn't. I, did, I didn't. I, I just thought that was that was a good bit of character. As I say, you've got to you've got to drop your calf every now and then to bits of showmanship. But you know, I suppose Anthony, like you, he, he did wilt and he didn't end up on the winning team. So. <laughs> of course, yeah, he didn't, to be fair. No, I'll take that. Yeah, that's very, very true. Um, Samuel's just discussed maybe Palestri coming in, Ty. Um, he made his debut, finally, after signing for the club in October 2020, uh, very recently. I'd throw Ganacho into the mix. I know he's obviously preferred on the left side, and that is his natural side, but he is only 18. He probably could play on the right. And Do you think that could be an option for the remainder of the season, maybe seeing Ganacho on the right? And would you, would you drop Anthony on Sunday? Would you be brave? And would you think it's too early? Um... I, I wouldn't drop it and frame it as a as a dropping um, as such. I now Samuel's mentioned that I'm kind of coming around to the idea of of maybe the Fred McTominay Eriksson midfield again and, and putting Fernandez in the front three maybe on the right. Um, the issue is that no one really likes playing on that right wing role. Garnett, I feels like to me Garnett shows a good super sub at the moment. It feels like he's ideal to either move Rashford through the middle and bring him on in the left. And, you know, I, I'm not sure. I don't think we've seen much of him at all started on the right. So I'm not sure I'd I'd be doing that, especially away at Arsenal. I think 
Palestri is is a very unlikely starter, isn't he? As, as good as that little cameo was, um, you know, he might be on the bench. He's an option, I guess, but feels like he's a way away. The, the, the fortune that Anthony has is that he's he's getting to grips with United in a winning team, generally a winning team, and when he's got no competition at all for his place, really. Um, but it, it is clear that his it, it, he is inconsistent and, and infuriating at times, it would be fair to say. His, his output's not been good enough. And I think, you know, with the midfield issues, I, I do think I am coming around to that idea maybe that, that you take him out and play Fernandes on the right who can kind of make it a four-man midfield as well at times and, and try and stop Arsenal playing. And we know how good Arsenal's midfield has been recently. Xhaka's been really good, kind of like almost like an inside left number eight, picking up really good spaces. Odegaard's been running games for them. I thought he was brilliant last weekend. So they've got... Yeah. a really good midfield so maybe you do look to, to outnumber them there and and play it that way so I can certainly see an argument for taking Anthony out of the team um, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a, it, him being dropped I'm not sure Ten Hag would frame it as him being dropped um, I think it'd be a bigger issue if he was taken out of the team for a game where United is expected to be in the front foot rather than something like this when you can maybe pick a team that is focused a little bit more on on what you do without the ball rather than what, what you do with it I'd echo uh, those views on Odegaard, uh, particularly that I have watched him quite often Ooh. this season. It surprises how good he is. I didn't think he, he had that yeah, quality, he but he's yeah, he's been really impressive. Um, Samuel, you talked about De Gea's save. Um, I think it was just before Fernandez's goal, actually, in the first half. And what a brilliant save that was. A fingertip save right in the top corner to prevent Edouard from scoring. Where does that rank in De Gea's saves of all time? And his contract, obviously, he's getting an extension. I, I kind of wrote in a piece, it, it seems pragmatic to give him an extension even though there is doubts over how he plays with the ball at his feet and whatnot. Um, because if you take him into next season, then you can address other positions this summer and kind of maybe get a goalkeeper in the summer of 2024. So I presume you think it's the right decision to extend his contract because he's got, he's in a lot of goodwill with supporters this season, hasn't he? He's, he's kind of returned to his best. It, it makes sense for the Knights to keep their powder dry and at least extend his contracts, but they're talking about a, a complete renewal, which if, if they're in the process of that, which from, from both sides, that, that's that's what they say, then they've, they've just got to sell Dean Henderson in the summer because there's no point kicking that can down the road any any longer. They've, they've done that for what feels like four years already uh, or nearly four years. Uh, as, as for the save the other night, De Gea's best saves, certainly in my recollection, they're the ones where he gets the finest of touches and he and he, they go on to the woodwork as well. Now, some people would say there's an element of luck with that, but I think if 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 a goalie getting a touch is actually imperceptible, then that's probably the sign that it's it's a genuinely great save. And, and De Gea did that. He actually did that twice in the same month in his second season from. It was Brian Ruiz at Fulham when United were, uh, I think they went about 12, 15 points clear that night. And um, later that month, maybe the more memorable one was from Quintrao, um, Fabio Quintrao during that brilliant draw between uh, Real Madrid and United in the Bernabeu when a hell of a lot happened. And it was it was just a brilliant game. There were chances at both ends and somehow it ended 1-1. But that felt like a coming-of-age performance for De Gea that night because that wasn't the only... Um, top save he made and he was doing it back in in Madrid as well um, and he'd had a bit of stick the previous month so I think a lot of people were very hasty 
um, to conclude it was his best ever the other night because sometimes you have to look at it through the context, the importance of it. Ultimately, that save was made in a game that United didn't win, unfortunately for them. Uh, it, it looked huge at the time. It certainly felt even bigger when Fernandes scored three minutes later and um, my, my intro, my match piece was all set to be hooked on that save and the importance of it and how important it could be. And then, of course, Elise steps up and uh, whips the ball like Beckham and it's it's just about as unsavable a free kick as you, you could see when, when it goes in off the underside of the crossbar. Uh, but I've, I've always maintained that, that if you want a goalkeeper, if you're firing um, a football at the speed of an exocet, De Gea is still the goalkeeper you want between the sticks to keep it out. Um, there are there are issues with his game. Um, I mean, Ty spoke to him after the Palace match, and those quotes will come out. And by the sounds of things, they'll make for interesting reading on on aspects of this game. But he has had a good season. Uh, there was a wobble recently. Um, what game was it? Where he made? I'm trying to think what game it was recently where where he wasn't Everton? particularly great. In yeah, the there was yeah. the Everton. Of, of, Everton of course, yeah, yeah, he, he had a bad mistake against Everton. But that felt uncharacteristic at the time. He hadn't, he hadn't done that since probably the Brentford game. So I, I know yeah. people would say, well, that was only five months ago. But um, given how many he was he was dropping in a, a few seasons ago, certainly towards the end of uh, Solskjaer's first season um, and, and a little bit as well at the start of, of the next season, he's not he's not been as error-prone, it feels like, in the last, uh, the last 18 months. He was, I think it was the Players' Player of the Year for last season and um, he did have a good season on an individual basis, and this season he's having a pretty good one as well. So, for the time being, I think it, it's completely logical for United to keep him there at least until 2024. If, if you're investing in a new goalkeeper, long-term goalkeeper, that's that's a, that's a big investment. And this is a summer where United need a striker as a priority. Uh, Ten Hag wants a dynamic younger midfielder. There's still the potential for a right back. I mean, Aaron Wambasak has been very good of late, but he is pretty much still on trial. So how do you fit a goalkeeper into that? I think the goalkeeper, that step of the rebuild, if it is to come into it, it would be logical to do it in, in 2024. And De Gea has been one of the, the best keepers in the league so far this season. I think only Nick Pope has got more clean sheets than him. So he's, he's having a, a decent time of it. And uh, for all the, um, I suppose, uncertainty of his position under Ten Hag, there seems to be a very good and collegiate working relationship between them. What a world-class goalkeeper that Nick Pope is, by the way. But it could always be worse as well for United because you could always have Hugo Lloris in goal, couldn't you? What a mare he's had in the last few weeks. What's yeah. he been up to? Yes. Yeah. A few years, I think. Conte still... Yeah, he's, Conte came out and backed him. But, I mean, God, they should be getting rid of him. He's definitely passed the South by idea, hasn't he? Um, Ty, you spoke to Bruno Fernandes in the mix zone after the game. I just wanted to ask you a bit about that for a moment. Can you give the readers a bit of insight on how the mix zone works for those that won't know? And can you just discuss what kind of was included in that conversation with Fernandes, who obviously scored the game's only goal for United? Yeah. Um, I mean, the mix zone is basically where we stand post-match. Usually ask players for a chat and get told uh, no. But <laughs> it's it's been... Um, it's been a lot better, to be fair, with United this year, and they, they kind of brought players to us and, and did so surprisingly after the game, considering how it ended on on Wednesday. So, you know, credit to them and their their media team, They're a lot more proactive um, proactive these days with it. So they brought um, they brought Bruno Fernandez out, and as Samuel mentioned, David De Gea as well, who's for for like Arsenal previews for Sunday papers. So there'll be plenty of that 
coming out. Um, so yeah, it was it was a busy one in the mix zone. Um, the and Fernandez was he wasn't great to be honest. I mean, it's, it's a difficult one when the games just ended like that. That it's you know it's hard to know how to frame it. The player obviously wants to do other things, especially when you're so far away from home. A lot of the time, they just want to get showered and and go there. Um, but you know, there was some some reasonable enough stuff on on kind of needing to be better at killing games off away from home. Um, didn't expand on it too much. I don't I don't think he's always a fan of kind of being as. Samuel will know from the summer when I think he bristled a, a question he'd actually misheard from Samuel in, in Melbourne rather than taking offence at something he thought Samuel had said rather than actually did say, I think was the case, wasn't it? But Wouldn't I think he um, <laughs> he does he does bristle at times when there's questions maybe with a bit of implied criticism and I think he maybe felt that was the case with the um, talk about needing to kill games off away from home and and things like that. But, um, but you know, he, he was quite good about how they, they, they do need to do that really played down talk of any title race, but talked about how they're doing great things this season. Um, and then, a, you know, a bit about how well Ericsson is playing. Asked him about his own form as well, which he kind of played down a lot. Um, obviously, you know, his, his goals and assist return aren't at the level they were in the first 18 months, two years maybe oh, yeah. under Solskjaer. But it feels to me like he's a better player and a better midfielder than he was when he was producing yeah. those those numbers. He doesn't need those numbers now to carry the team because the team's better as a unit. But I I think personally he's he's been since maybe I remember saying this before the World Cup, but since maybe four three weeks, four weeks before the World Cup, he's upped his game under Ten Hag. And I think he's been I think he's been brilliant since then. Really, really good. Um not just his goal threat, but the quality of his his passing and his link up play. Clearly got a really good relationship with Ericsson now and I think he's playing really well. He's developed a lot as a captain. Um, feels like he's been a, a really good captain to the point now that if Maguire leaves, he'd, he'd I would say be the obvious club captain. He essentially he's the on pitch captain at the moment, isn't he? But I think he'd be he, he, mm-hmm. if Maguire went, he's the obvious club captain. When at the end of last season, we were kind of debating the fact that maybe he wasn't because it felt like his his attitude could be a bit negative on the pitch at times. But but that has changed, and it feels like. He's just playing really well at the moment. And we, we had the debate a lot in the summer about how he maybe wasn't going to be a natural fit under Ten Hag that is his high-risk, high-reward approach to playmaking and creating chances might might grate against Ten Hag and wanting to keep possession. But he's, he's changed his game a little bit, I think, to fit in. And I think this is as well as he's played in his United career in terms of an all-round game rather than just looking at his, his numbers and his goals and assists. I think he's playing he's playing really, really well at the moment, I think. That was my lunch piece this afternoon, Ty. I was basically saying, I, I don't think he's that. actually been getting the praise he deserves. He's been quietly very, no, very good, hasn't he? Because the, the kind yeah. of the, the lack of contribution, or not as good contribution, should we say, in the final third is those impressive there's, um, numbers. There's a lot. There's a lot of new toys to play with this year, isn't there? In terms of like <laughs> Casemiro and Martinez and Rashford's emergence. So I think he is going under the radar in in that sense when he's he's kind of old hat now and and been around the block when it comes to United. But he is. You know he's certainly up there with with Casemiro and and Rashford. I would say in terms of player of the season, hundred hmm. percent. Uh, Samuel, it was a, a debut for Walt Weghorst. Obviously, twenty five minutes in the podcast, and we've not talked about that yet. Um, a big, big centre forward. I think he surprised me. Obviously, you two lads saw him in person. Uh, the stature of him, he is a, a very big traditional striker. Um, I'd say his debut was a bit indifferent. He had a few good touches, but. 
I didn't really think he had a, a really good impact, a strong impact. So how would you assess that debut? And what would be a good season for him? Would it be five goals maybe contributing? Or is that the kind of range we're looking at? I think he did okay. His link-up play was, was pretty reasonable. He didn't compromise United's fluidities. His link-up play was possibly better than Marshall's in, in some ways. And that he was quite, Yeah, I don't, I don't think he did uh, bad. Props, I just don't think with he his layoffs. Yeah. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. I mean, he wasn't a goal threat at all. And if you're a striker, yeah. that's that's a big that's a big problem. He had that header which went onto the roof of the net. He probably should have hit the target at the very least with that, given his his superiority uh, as, as far as the height advantage goes. But it, it didn't feel like Palace were duly unnerved by him. Uh, Richards was, I think, it was his first Premier League start. And sometimes, if you're coming up against um, a, a player like Vekos, you could be unnerved by him, but that wasn't the case at all. So I, th- I think he did okay. I mean, it was, I, I gave him six out of 10, which I think was, was perfectly fair. I'm sure there'll be people thinking that was unfair or that wasn't low enough or what have you. But I, I, I found it quite an inoffensive performance. And normally if you, if, if it's been an inoffensive performance you and you've not done a lot, then it's um, then it's a six out of 10. So he, he didn't really do anything wrong, but he didn't really do anything uh, right either. That said, his run for the for Fernandez's goal, his run to the near post, I think it attracts about three players, which frees up a lot yeah. of space for Fernandez, and he took his goal brilliantly. No, that's that's fair. I was going to say that actually, I did leave that out. His his movement was good, didn't it? And it opened the space uh, for the goal. If we look ahead to Sunday, then Tyrone uh, Samuel's push for time, so we'll just make it quick. Um, there was obviously talk of a, an unlikely Premier League title challenge or a once unlikely Premier League title challenge after the Manchester derby. Um, Arsenal are eight points ahead of United and they have a game in hand. Um, Newcastle are the only team to have taken points at the Emirates this season. I obviously had to include that stat. It's a very hard place to go. What are your expectations points, for Sunday? Not because Arsenal... <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal are a formidable side this season, which is it's been a surprise. Yeah, it has. I mean, and momentum has certainly been been building around them. Um, the, the way they played in the North London derby last week, the way they've played since the World Cup, when obviously they've not had Jesus, has been exceptional, really. And they they have the look. It's very early still, but they have the look of title winners at the moment, and and especially the way that momentum is building. They feel a little bit like almost a bit like Liverpool in 2019-20 when they, they got out of the blocks well, they got a good start and they just kept winning and winning and winning and it, it felt like the momentum around them was becoming unstoppable really, um, probably around this this time of the season as well and it, Arsenal have got the feel of that at the moment, albeit they they hadn't done what Liverpool had done in the previous years, it was more expected with Liverpool, they had a better squad, Arsenal have still got those, those challenges to overcome that they haven't got the deepest of squads there might come a point where they have a setback at, at some point. And of course, you you mentioned the game in hand there, but the game in hand is against Manchester City. Um, they've got to play City home and away yet, and they're obviously going to take points off each other. So it's um, it's difficult to know what to expect, really. Not having Casemiro, I think, is is a monumental blow. It's it's the one player of the starting eleven that United would, you know, they'd rather lose the other 10 before they lost Casemiro, I think. So that really is a, a game-changing yellow card, and it... I did see someone tweet that with the bookmakers, within two minutes of that happening, Arsenal had shortened in price to win the game. And I think he's he's maybe the only player that would have caused that reaction in a betting market, which shows how important he is to United in a game like that. So I think you'd have to make Arsenal favourites, especially with the way United are away from home. They've they've still got points to prove away from home. They've been fantastic against big six teams at home. They got a good draw against Chelsea. Um 
through Casemiro's late goal. Obviously, they got trounced by City. They they need to play better for me away from home and create more chances. And it's it's an intriguing game. It's one that United are clearly second favourites for. If they win it, then we'll be back to title race talk. I think if they lose, then I think we can put put that one to bed. Um, but it, it is you know it's it's a real sort of marker for both teams because if 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 Arsenal do win it, the way they're playing, the way City are playing, the gap they'll have on United, you'd have to make them really strong favourites. At, at this stage of the season, I think. So um, So it's going to be an intriguing game. Regarding the style of the game, Samuel, how do you think Ten Hag will approach it? Because uh, obviously City had a lot of the ball, didn't really do much with it, and United were kind of happy to kind of hit on the counter-attack. And I guess that's a sign of the progress Ten Hag is going to make, that that style is going to develop over time, and United are going to kind of take the game to those kind of opponents. Do you think on Sunday, United will play a bit deeper and it'll be similar to that style, or do you think they'll be a bit more proactive? I could certainly see a, a similar approach to the City game in the, especially without Casemiro, they've not got a specialist defence midfielder to come in. McTominay is a is an interesting case because it feels like he's had an identity crisis in recent months. City came out of the team after the, the derby in October because he's been he's been thrown on as a forward as he was the other night as he was at Chelsea as well I believe he was he was in the vicinity of Casemiro when 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 he scored that headed goal right at the death yet during his purple patch in August and September his role was defensive minded and I've always thought that's the way he should be used but of course when he was a junior and when he was in the youth team he was playing as a, a striker or as a forward and here we are, I mean, talking talking maybe a decade on, and there's still a bit of indecision as to how he should be used. And sometimes it's it's good if, if players have, you know, if they can add a string to their bow and they can be multifunctional and versatile. But you, you want it in a consistent sense. If if you're being used as a defensive player and as an attacking player, and you're being, it, it, sometimes it feels like he's caught between two stools. I mean. Dion Dublin used to play at centre-back sometimes, I think, for, for Aston Villa and always found that a little bit bizarre. And McTominay's also played at, at centre-back as well, of course, for, for United and, and Scotland. So I, I, there needs to be a decision made there. And as far as Saturday is concerned, he's the most suitable stopgap. Um, I think Fred is needed just because he's so energetic. He he was the one who I thought should have come on the other night when, when Ten Hag took the decision to put an extra midfielder on, I think it would have made a lot more sense to have, to have chosen Fred. Fred's impacts as a substitute recently have been quietly good. And of course, he was excellent in the derby as a starter. Um, he played very well against Arsenal last season in, in United's win at Old Trafford. I know that was uh, 13 months ago now, but sometimes that experience can be invaluable. And he, he is... He is an underrated player when he's used in the right way. And under Solskjaer, he was overused. Under Rangnick, he did he did very well because he was more advanced and it was balanced. That balance is going to be compromised at the weekend. But I still think that Fred is a very useful asset to have in that midfield area. And he, he's not going to be the deepest midfielder if he's playing with McTominay. I just think the, the memory of Brentford, I mean, lest we forget, it was after Brentford that... All of a sudden, Casemiro, the story came out. And by the next time United were playing, he'd already been paraded on the pitch. It was pretty clear that despite the way it's maybe seen now, at the time, United were still trying to get Frankie de Jong in. That day confirmed probably to Ten Hag that, OK, I need a defensive-minded player. and We've just got to you know, get the green light on Casemiro and get him in as soon as possible. 
Um, and I still maintain the failure to integrate Casemiro into the team quicker cost them against City. They they might have still lost that game, but I don't think they would have got thumped uh, 6-3 or found themselves 6-1 down at, at one point. So they've, they've got a blueprint of sorts to go off. from, um, and, and I think the encouraging thing about Fernandes is that you don't want to play him on the right, of course. It's not... Uh, it's not the preferred means of, uh, of using him. But when he has played on the right, I think in his four games this season, he has always scored or got an assist or got both. Um, and that's because he does end up centrally and he does get into the area where he's going to have an impact. And that's a credit to Fernandez's mentality because another player would, if they're played out of position, uh, they, they might sulk about it, but he, he rails against it and, he, he tries to have as good a contribution as possible. I think the first time he played there this season against Sociedad away, it's his flick on that goes to Ronaldo, then Ronaldo passes it to Garnacho and, and United get get their goal. And that comes from Fernandez winning an aerial duel uh, coming in off the right. So they've, although Arsenal are having a, a terrific season, and as, as Ty said, the, the absence of Casemiro is, is absolutely huge. Um, United have still got a hell of a lot of quality to utilise and at the risk of doing of getting into Adam Crafton territory from a few years ago when he was able to do a, a combined North London uh, 11 and he decided to pick all Tottenham players. Uh, objectively, I would still say the majority, I, I would still take the majority of United players over Arsenal players. Arsenal have got some fabulous players, but United, although they will make allowances for Arsenal this weekend, I think because of the quality uh, in that Arsenal team this season they're having, they have also got ample quality themselves to to damage Arsenal. And you only have to go back to the Emirates game last season. United lost that game three one somehow, but they had a they had so many chances in that game, and and they should have got something out of it. And there was a bit of dodgy refereeing going on as well, so they can. They can extract some positives even from from that day, and they were very uh, th- th- those those days were very forgettable days indeed under Ralph Rangnick. Anyways, back to your early point, Samuel. You're trying to tell me Dion Dublin was a footballer? I thought he just did homes under the hammer. <laughs> I know, I know. To, to, to your generation, yes, yes. I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. You 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 were born you were born after. Leon's record record move to Aston Villa in '98, weren't you, Stephen? So yeah, I I, know, I, 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 I should have I should have clarified I should have clarified that for the <laughs> listeners that yes, Dion Dublin did occasionally play football once upon a time, even played for England and Man United. Of course. Anyways, we'll wrap that up there, gents. Thank you very much for your time, Tyrone. No problem. Thanks, Stephen. And thank you, Samuel. Brilliant. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for replying there, Samuel. I thought you were just going to ignore us. I thought, no, that's not, that's not a good ending. Uh, and to the <laughs> listeners, we're nearing in on a 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, the magical number. So if you head across there, comment, like, subscribe, please. Let me know if the mics are sounding a little bit better because we'll have invested thanks to producer Seb. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, enjoy the game on Sunday. Take care.